0: I want you to go with me this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. As God has put in my heart to share with you today, I'm going to deposit what the Lord has put. I never want to sermonize you. I never seek to just preach a message. But to always hear the voice of the Lord. I want you to know that. I know I tell you that all the time, but I want to assure you of that. I'm not interested in just bringing a sermon. If God doesn't speak to my heart, Jason, there's really. I feel like I have nothing to say. It's just words. But I know God has spoke to me. And I want to declare something to you today. Thank thank you, Miss Tanya. Uh, You know, we've been talking a lot about revival. And I still believe that we're in the greatest move. We're in the beginning of it. And uh, there's five things that you need to know. This isn't my message really, but I want to lay this out to you. Because I believe I've, I've been reading after some guys that have, have been in great moves of God all over history. And all the different moves of history. And it seems like somebody asked me the other day or told me this. And this is not why I'm saying this. So for those guys, I want you to know that. That it seemed like we're always in a cycle. You, you know, we're doing this. But when you read the Bible, that's where the people of God were. God would bless them. And as soon as they got blessed, they turned their backs on God. Went the other way, repented, cried out for God, here we go again. And it seems to be the whole cycle of the Bible. From really, from Genesis almost all the way to Revelation. But in all these great moves of God, or where revival has broken out, there's usually five things, and maybe this will help you see where you are, maybe where I'm at, maybe where we are as a church, about revival. The first one is this, in true revival, there's always people getting saved. Always. It's it's the mark that God is moving. People are being saved. Here's the second mark of revival. Purity of life. People quit sinning. They lay down their life. They get their hearts right. Here's the third thing. They have a fresh love and passion for Jesus. They're just in love with Him. Here's the fourth thing. They have a fresh love for God's house. They can't stay away. They want to be involved in what God's doing. Here's the last thing. These are marks. This is history proven of people that have studied the moves in revival. Here's the last one. They have a great desire to work for Jesus. They're not just going to be pew sitters or just somebody hanging out. They've got a desire. You might look at those and pray over it. it. might determine to us if we're in revival or not. Or maybe where we are along the journey. So let's go to the Word of God, alright? I'll somehow fit all of that in with what I think with what we're going to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Paul said to Timothy, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows... Those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I want to read that to you again. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Father, as you have put in my heart... Help me to communicate. Help me to speak clearly. And God, you just speak through me and we'll do well. So God, I give you praise for that right now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you on this. This has been in my heart for several weeks. The foundation of the Lord stands. If there ever was a moment that you and I need to know where we stand, I believe it is right now. The Bible said when you've done all to stand, he said stand. But what are you going to stand upon? See, it's not enough just to say I'm taking a stand, but what are you standing upon? By the way, we've got an election coming up here in just a, few, just a couple of days. Tuesday, a matter of fact. If you want information on that, Dr. Dave and Ms. Norma in the back have some information for you. They, they've studied up on all the candidates that are running. Now, you say, Pastor, well, it's not a presidential election. It's not all this. I don't know if we need to be involved. Oh, yes, we do. Because the hour is demanding that we take a stand. But it's not enough for me just to complain or gripe against a candidate. I've got to know what my stand is. Or what my belief is. And then what have I based my belief on? Where am I standing between heaven and earth? Where am I standing with everything that is going on around me? The Bible said that it is the foundation of the Lord that stands. Now let me define what a foundation is. Foundation can have a couple different meanings. First of all. It's something you build upon like a basement or a concrete slab. This building is attached to a foundation, a slab of concrete. And this whole building is tied to that concrete. Another definition of that is this. It is a set of written policies. A set of written policies. There's actually a third one, but it's not biblical But most of you ladies use it all the time. You put on a foundation. I really couldn't find that in the scripture. Well, maybe I just did. Maybe other than we put on Christ. The sure foundation. But you and I need to understand the importance of the foundation. Whether it be the basement, whether it be the slab, whether it be the established uh, policy, if it's not connected, if the foundation isn't there, the whole building, the whole institution faces collapse because of the weakness of what it's standing upon. We must have a foundation. Paul was writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter chapter 2. You need to understand, this is a letter. So when you read it, Paul is writing from prison. And he sent a letter to Timothy because he's telling Timothy, Timothy, it's time for you, son, to stir the gift that was in you. And to remember... He said in chapter 1, I'm just going to hit a few verses for you. You don't have to read with me. He said, I therefore remind you to stir up the gift that is in you. And I want you to remember the heritage of which you have come from. That was in your grandmother and in your mother and now it's in you. Timothy, it's time for you to stir yourself up for God has not given you a spirit of fear. See, we need to understand why this. We think it's about the fear of the corona. No, it's the fear to be able to take a stand in the midst of a fallen world when everything is pressing and telling you different. Somebody's got to rise up in the spirit of the Lord and not be afraid for the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, for God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In other words, I've given you what you need to overcome anything and everything that's been thrown at you. Then he tells Timothy in the next verse, he said, Timothy, don't you be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Come on, church. Don't be ashamed to say I'm a child of God. Don't be ashamed to say I'm a follower of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to lift up that name. Don't be afraid to be the the weird one in the bunch because you carry the name of Jesus. That's why Paul is talking to Timothy because in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Timothy, in these days, peerless times are going to come. Men are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of pleasures more than God. They're going to be lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parent, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, the spiders of good. He said they're going to be all of these things and this is where you're gonna to have to stand are you okay I think I'm in the right church I'm not preaching to Pakistan I'm preaching to y'all today I'm not pre- even preaching to another group I'm preaching to you God gave us this message for you look at your neighbor and say this is for you and I believe this kind of describes the time of which we're in wouldn't you guys agree That we're in the perilous times? Wouldn't you agree that we're in the time when men care more about themselves than they care about anything else? Would you agree that we're in the time when people are unloving? They're uncontrolled. They're brutal. They're despisers of good. We're in that time. So Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't be afraid to take a stand. God has called you. He's appointed you. And then he said, hold fast, in in verse 13. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. And keep hold, that good thing that was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. See, Paul was encouraging Timothy, Timothy, you got to hold on. Timothy, you got to take a stand. You and I need to understand that Paul was even wrote to the church at Corinth, a letter dealing the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. If they can put that on the screen there for me, Miss Joe, I would appreciate it. Or I can get to it real quick. There we go. He said, now, whom you've forgiven anything, I forgive you, for if indeed, I don't... For if indeed, let's... Yeah, for if indeed... I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. That's, that's 2 Corinthians. I didn't think that was reading right. Go to 1 Corinthians. I'll give her a moment. She's doing a great job. Give Joe, our person in the back, a great hand. There we are. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit churches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Go to the next verse. For what man knows, and I'm not in the right place. Sorry, that's not your fault, Joe. Let me catch this passage and see where I'm at. I want to make sure I'm reading the right verse. It was chapter 3. I apologize. He said in verse 10, he said, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take, ha, take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can one lay. Than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus. The church. The, the early church. The church that we as Christians are built upon. We are established upon a foundation according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. The scripture declares this. We are no longer strangers and foreigners. We are no longer. Everybody say, we are no longer strangers and foreigners. But we are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and of the prophets. You and I need to understand that the church itself is established upon Principles, doctrine, it's, it's established upon a written policy that was established by the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, which means he's holding it all together and keeping everything in place. We also find the early church in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to have to, my notes are scribbled, so I'm going to have to do it this way. In Acts chapter 2, the early church, after they'd come out of of the upper room, 3,000 plus are born again. The first thing that they begin to do in Acts chapter 2 verse 44 says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. What was the first? thing that they did for all of these young believers all of these new people coming in they established them on the doctrine on the principles on the foundation of which Christ has meant for his church to stand upon now I want to give you three dimensions a foundation that we all need to understand and grab hold of I want you to pay very close attention Three dimensions we all need to understand and grab hold of. The first one is this. We are all a part of the eternal plan of God. If you think for one moment that you're a mistake, or you're just a product of a man and a woman, or you just showed up in this time you really don't understand what life is about, And may I go on to say this, and I'm not putting anybody down. It's something that I don't think we as even Christians understand how we play a role in the eternal plan of God. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning, God began to do something, Donnie. God began to put everything in order. First thing that God said, let there be light. Second thing that God did, He separated the firmament, the firmament, the heavens. And He separated the waters from the waters, the heavens from the earth. The next thing that God did, He put the sun, the moon, the stars in the sky. The next thing that God did, God began to call the dry land to come up out of the water. The next thing that God did, God began to put the animals and the birds in the air and the fish in the sea. And the last thing that God did, or the sixth thing that God did, God created man and God took him and put him in a garden east of Eden, the Bible says. Notice the plan of God. This was all God's plan. This was all God's design. Even in a world that says there is a higher power, but we don't know if it's God. See, we're faced with these facts. I got family members that believe in the universe. Just the power. Just send good thoughts to me and everything will work. I don't know how we have gotten so far away from God. But the reality is, if we don't understand that we are in the eternal plan of God. So what do you mean by eternal? Well, God is eternal. You and I are in time. So when you talk about eternal, it means... Eternal. From everlasting to everlasting with no beginning and no ending. So if there was a bang, it was God that, okay, let's do it. That's the only way it could be because God is eternal. And any of the gods of this age, none of them have given us proof of themselves like Yahweh has. None of them described himself. None of them gave us the plan of history. None of them had it pinned out and said, This is my plan for all, for all eternity, for all creation. None of them has given us this like Yahweh has. So God, from the beginning, began to put everything into his eternal plan. You see, here's how we treat God. God is always up to something new. No. God's already finished. God's already done. The seventh day, God said, it's finished. Was that just creation? Could have been. But I got to believe that it was so much more. So all of creation was completed everything that God was going to do is over God's not creating anything God has placed creation in our hands and He's put His power in our hands so instead of being at the beginning line God's at the finish line and He keeps saying come this way and so every time something new comes along this is how we said, well God's up to something new no, God's always up and he's always moving. You and I sometimes are just getting caught up with where God is at. Hello? Understand that we are in the eternal purpose of God. Psalms 104 says this. I'm going to read several passages of this scripture to you. But, but just hang on with me for just a moment. Psalms 104 verse 1. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Oh Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty who cover yourself with light as with the garment who stretched out the heavens like a curtain talking about the skies. He lays the beams of His upper chambers in the water. He makes the cloud His chariot who walks on the wings of the wind who makes His angels spirits His ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it shall not listen to this so that it shall not be moved forever you covered it with the deep as with the garment the water stood above the mountains and at your rebuke they fled and the voice of your thunder they hastened away they went up over the mountains they went down into the valleys to the place which you found it for them and you have set a boundary that they may not pass over it that they may not return to cover the earth you want to know why you can enjoy the beach Because God said to the ocean, that's far enough. That's where you go and you don't go anywhere else. I have set your place for you. That's what he's talking about. It was he who set that in place. He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. You thought that creek was just there with running water. He said, I'm taking care of all my creation. He said, "By by them the birds of the heavens have their home. He said, they sing among the branches. He waters the hill from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, the vegetation for the service of men, that he may bring forth fruit from the earth. And you thought it was Farmer Jerry back there that put a corn seed in the ground to bring corn to you. For Jerry ever was thought about conceived. God put bushels of corn in the earth and God was planning the harvest even for our day. He said, The wine that makes glad the heart of men, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthen a man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedar of Lebanon he planted where the birds make their nest. The stork makes her home. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. He appointed the moon for season and the sun knows it's going down. You make darkness and it is night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey. They seek their food from God. When the The sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their den. And man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. And in your wisdom, you have made them all. See, all of creation is in the hands of God. See, I know some of us, our universities and some of our people are challenged by creationism. They're challenged by the God of heaven. And never has there been a time in history where we have been challenged to to try to find something of what makes this earth tick. And here's the biggest key in it all. What is my purpose in life? If you don't know your foundation, you'll really truly never discover your purpose in life. Ephesians the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 48, in verse verse 12, listen to what he says. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. Ephesians chapter 3. Chapter 1 and verse 3 says this. Blessed be the Lord God. Blessed be the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly places with all spiritual blessings. I'm going to read it exactly because I want to make sure I'm reading it right. Verse 4 says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the earth. So, when you die, and if you make heaven, you're only going back to where you've already been. Because you've already been there. Hello? You've already been there. You come out of the heart of your Creator. You come out of the loins. You may have come out of the womb of your mama. But you actually come out of, the, out of the seed of our Heavenly Father, of the Creator. Who planted us into the seed of a man. Who passed it into the womb of a woman. That brought forth so that you and I could feel the earth. And be just like Him. See, we're all a part of the creation of God. We're all a part of him we're not just an add-on no he did he didn't just create us on the fly he meticulously I had to write this down he meticulously pre-planned a blueprint for the world putting everything in its order in its ordered place for so that everything would function and everything would be in order to fulfill everything that he had purposed for our life. You're not in the wrong time. You're not in the wrong time. You are not the wrong color. You're not the wrong age. We're all set in our particular times, pre-ordered and predestined by God. And what God is doing in the earth now, He has always been doing. God God would have we would have never ever failed. You see the first thing that happened in the garden was when man sinned against the Lord. Let me go to the second part. I got to land this jet quickly. I could be laboring too much and want to keep going. Here's the second thing that you and I need to understand. He established a foundation, a written policy for us to live by. And that was from the beginning of time. And the first written policy wasn't written on stone or or flesh or paper. But it was written on the hearts of men. When God created Adam in Genesis chapter 3. When God created man after his image and after his likeness. Nowhere, Miss Bethany, do we find that God sat down and schooled Adam. Because when he breathed into him, he was just like him. They knew everything, but there had to be that moment of conversation that went on somewhere, whether by the knowing of the Spirit, because that's probably how the communication was. That Adam wouldn't have had to say a word because he knew the heart of the Father. And the Father knew the heart of Adam. Why? There was no no sin. They were perfectly joined. They were exactly alike. Until that day that the serpent showed up. And the serpent came into the garden and spoke to Adam and spoke to Eve or spoke to her and said, Have you considered the tree that is in the midst of the garden? You know the story. I preach this a lot. She said, Yes, God has said. God has said. That's the first time we've heard that. But evidently it was already ordered. It was set into the heart of them that God had breathed that into their spirit, so it was a part of their being. God has said that we shall not eat of it nor touch it because in the day that we do, we will die. But now, here comes the big controversy. Adam and Eve are faced about their foundation and the enemy deceived them by emotions. He deceived them by what they saw. Have you considered that that tree is good second thing have you considered that it will make you wise when you eat of it see now he's challenging their thoughts see where does all the deceptions of the enemy come from first place it begins to hit the biggest battleground that you're going to have is the battleground of your mind that the enemy comes and convinces you of this stuff And she said, God has said, we will not eat of it nor touch it lest we die. And that moment sin entered in. Because they stepped from the foundation of which they were upon. That God will keep us. And the creator will hold us. And will sustain us until they let their foundation be shaken. And they're moved away from God. What do you think happens? Remember, I told you the Bible is full of cycles. It's full of cycles. That's why we keep doing sometimes what we're doing. It's not that we don't want to get further. It's just we don't know how to stay focused. Because the next thing that happens, and I don't have time to hit every story. But I'll go from there. When God brings Israel up out of Egypt and he brings them to Sinai in Exodus 19. And God said this. He said, I bore you upon eagles' wings. I think it's chapter 19, 5, 6, somewhere thereabouts. He said, I bore you on eagles' wings. I'm the one that brought you out. And now you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Notice what he said. You will be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Here's the thing you and I need to understand. We all in every part of our life are to live unto the Lord. You may be a mechanic, you might be an office manager, a doctor, a lawyer, a candlestick maker. But whatever the job is, as Paul would say to the church in the New Testament, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. What you and I have to realize. That may be my means of making money. When you're the circuit court clerk. You're going to do it unto the Lord. You may be serving Cape Dorado County. I'm putting a plug in for you. Yeah. Miss Ashley's running for circuit court clerk. But you do it unto the Lord. We love our wives and our children. And our husbands unto the Lord. See we're. If you don't understand what priesthood is, priesthood, priest, minister unto the Lord. That is our role in everything I do. Jason, I know you play golf, but if you're on the golf course, do it unto the Lord. Hello. I know Tom likes fishing. If you're going to fish, do it unto the Lord. And Larry loves making bow ties now. So Larry, do it unto the Lord. See, it's what priests do. But then here he said, I called you to be a holy nation. Now see, if you want to know what holy is, I I go back to my roots of where I came from. Holiness is what you put on or what you take off. See, all of you women, probably according to years ago standards, most of you aren't going to make heaven. You've cut your hair, put your earrings on, lipstick on those lips, looks like a Jezebel. Took off your dress. Put on man's clothes. Hello. Uh, I'm serious. I I would take nothing for how I was brought up. But I've learned something different about holiness. Now holiness, when you understand it, may determine how you look. Hello. Because the word holy, if you look at God, this this is a simple definition. It means otherness. There's nothing like you. You are other than. You're not like this world. We're not of this world. See, we're in this big battle of how we're going to win this world. Do I need to be like it or do I need to be separate? I want to tell you something. I choose to believe God. That God is smarter than we are. His ways are greater than ours. And I believe if we'll trust Him, I believe we will see this harvest. And I don't have to compromise my values to do it. Hello? So if you're going to be holy, you can't be looking and acting like the world. No matter what the world is doing. Y'all got real quiet. It's 1121. If you want to exit now, you better. Hello? But you see, even the reason we got so many problems out there, because we got great problems in here. The reason we got so much addiction out there is because we got too much addiction in here. Because when we get free, then we can carry freedom to that which is out there. Come on, somebody. See, when we know what we stand for and what we believe in and what we rely on, I don't have to be mean. I don't have to be ugly. Matter of fact, the Bible tells me to act in love. So if I'm going to act in love, I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to be harsh. I'm just going to let the Holy Ghost that's on the inside of me be the one to shine out of me that will bring a transformation in their life. That's how God intended for us to work. Are you okay? So he said, I've called you to be a holy nation unto me. Well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Okay, let me give you a New Testament. You ever heard this? 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Not weird. It just means you're different. You're like God. You're a peculiar people. Set forth unto him that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let me go back to the Old Testament. Well, Pastor, we're not under the law. Then you don't understand what the law is. And by, by the way, the law didn't quit. It got fulfilled. I want to say that to you again. The law didn't quit. Wasn't thrown away. It was fulfilled. And it was fulfilled in Jesus. He said that in Matthew chapter 5. He said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I come to fulfill it. Because you couldn't. And the difference is that when I come into Him, I'm declared righteous by Him, not by the law. Thank God that it's true. Because if I couldn't keep the law, most of us would be buried. Because we would be taken out in stone for every little thing under the heavens. But God's grace and His mercy has covered us. But back again, back to the law. God gave, the first thing that He gave them, He pinned it on stone. It was first in their hearts. They couldn't keep it in their hearts. So what did He do? He put it on stone. It is written, Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. You have to understand, well, Pastor, I know the Ten Commandments. They just come out of 400 years Of every kind of idol under the sun. 400 years. I don't know how many generations were there. Let's say a generation is 40 years. I don't know if that's true or not. I've always struggled with the generation marker. So that would mean there's how many? 10 generations that was in Israel at that time. Ten generations that grew up watching everybody bow to these idols and declare that they're God. Declare that there's the ones that care for them and provide for them. And God brought them out of all of that. God said, I'm not sharing you with that. I did not bring you out to put you back in there. But I brought you out to be mine. And the first thing that he wants us to know is he's God and God alone. Matter of fact, some of us need to settle the God issue in the house. Is there a God or not? The Bible said, only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. A fool says. One that is totally without comprehension. One that is totally void of understanding says there is no God. And then he said, thou shalt not make any graven image. You shall... Not take my name in vain. And you shall remember. To keep the Sabbath. And keep it holy. And then he goes on and says. You'll honor your father and mother. And then you'll not steal. And you'll not murder. And you'll not bear false witness. And then you will not. You will not crave or desire your neighbor's goods. Because if you don't get the first four right. Right. Our relationship is in trouble because I become a God to myself and I can do what I feel like is right. Hello? See, I can't give honor to you if I don't give honor to my parents. If I first don't give honor to God for who God is. You want to know, I shared with you on on, on Wednesday night it was, or no, it was Tuesday night with all the guys. I understand in our school systems around the nation that we have children, our children, that now roam the hallways thinking they're cats. Seriously, running through the halls on all fours, sitting on their desk like a cat would. And I heard in some schools they've even set up litter boxes for them. We've also got children in our school system that don't know who they are. They don't know if they're a male or female. And so they're always going through this constant battle. I'm not, listen, I'm not angry. I just got to tell you where we are. How did we get to this point? Why are we dealing with this thing? Where do we become sympathetic? Where do we become compassionate? Where do we become, I've got to to tell you what the Bible says. Because I've got to take it from there. Not what culture's telling me, but what the Bible says about it. For you that are in the, no, are you okay? Oh, Jesus. Romans chapter 1, this is what the Bible says, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. See, there's not a person on the planet that can say, I just don't see God anywhere. According to the scripture, God said he's made himself known by what was in them and by what he's created around them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal uh, Godhead and power, so that we are without excuse. Because although they knew God, listen to what it said. Because they knew Him, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and in their hearts were darkened. Professing to be fools, they became wise, and look what happens they changed the image of God. And when you change the image of God, you just changed your own image. Because you are made in the image of God. And he made them male and female. Not pan, not this. I've learned some names over the last few weeks. I never even knew existed. By these terms that are are given to a generation. Friends, I I want you to know. We love every one of you in this room. I love every person out there. That's in trouble. That may be... Feeling some of these issues and here's the thing to say that what they feel is not true is not, a, is not really a lie they do have feeling but their feelings have become perverse their feelings have become uh, have become uh, incorrect and until they can face truth and know what truth is they'll continue to follow feelings hello I'm not a psychologist. We have a number of counselors in the room. If y'all need it, I probably need to go sit with them. They're here. Jesus gives these commands and said, This is how you will live, and I'll covenant with you. If you'll follow this, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll see that your days are long and that your enemies won't overtake you. That was his promise. Israel done good. We're We're making covenant with God. And no longer had they got into the promised land. The very thing that God told them what happened, Donnie, happened. And they turned their hearts from following the Lord. And so the cycle starts all over again. Why do you think we have a 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14? You know that prayer. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven and I'll bring healing to their land. Man, we cried that one out over the last two years, didn't we? Problem is, we cried it with no change. The nation kept going into its same manner. But they didn't read the other parts. God said, if you sin against me, he said, if you sin against me. Here was the thing. Solomon knew this. He said, Lord, if we sin against you. And you send an army or a plague. Or all of these kind of things come upon you. Lord, if we repent. Will you hold back the plague? Will you turn back the army? Will you do this? And God turns around and he speaks back to Solomon. And he said, if my people. That I've called by my name. will humble themselves. Turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven and I'll bring healing to their land. See, it was trying to bring back the plan of God to what God intended for us to do. And all through the book of Kings and all through the book of Chronicles and all through the books of the prophets, God is crying out to his people, turn their hearts back to me. He said in Isaiah 1, I got to land the jet. Please come so I can get down. I got, I don't know why it helps. It helps. It may just help you, but Isaiah said, he said, it's the willing and obedient that eat the good of the land. But he said in one place, I think it's Isaiah, that the rebellious is like witchcraft, but we stop too quick. But the stubborn is like idolaters. The rebellious is as the sin of witchcraft, But stubbornness, the refusal to bend, the refusal to bow, the refusal to come back, is like idolatry. And God doesn't tolerate idolatry. See, if we're going to talk the truth, we got to talk all the truth, not a truth out of the truth. Well, pastor, God is loving. Yes, He's loving. But He's also a God of judgment. You can't do one without the other. You'll never... You won't even really understand the love of God if you don't understand the judgments of God. And I'll never understand the judgments of God if I don't understand the love of God. I've got to realize that He... I can't just take one truth. I've got to share the whole truth with you. God, Jesus spoke to His disciples when He said, follow Me. Takes them to a mountain and begins to teach them. Because guys, you gotta realize something. You and I can't live like the world in spite of how many people are doing it. And we got people in this room. You're really not living according to the scripture. And you know it. And you have justified your sin. And that's what it is. And we've got to deal with those things. We got to deal. Well, I made, I'm, you, you know, well. No, we got to deal with where it is. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I've got nobody I'm attacking. I've got a responsibility to a church that I believe God has put His hand on and is moving. And I want to see the holiness and the fire of God upon this place as never before. And He gave us the responsibility to keep the fire on the altar. And in order to do it, we got to deal. He told him. He said, this is how you're going to live. He said, you've heard it said, but I say. He talked to him about relationship. First thing that he said, he said, get the unforgiveness out of your hearts. If you've got ought against your brother, it was the first thing that Jesus dealt with. He said, if you've got ought against your brother, if you're going to the altar to leave your offering, you hold your offering until you go get it worked out with your brother. Then come back. Why is that so important? It's so important that your heart stays clean. Because out of the heart flows the issue of life. Do you realize that your heart, When I'm, I'm not talking about this thing that's beating. I'm talking about the core of man. Which entails your spirit, which is born after Christ, but also your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotion. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and verse 12, that the word of God is sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Sometimes our spirit, we want to do it. That's where Jesus said to his disciples Your, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. He said, this is how you've got to live because you can't trust this fallen flesh. And he said, you'll be like a wise man if you take my word and you build upon it. You'll be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain came and the wind come and the floods come and the house stood strong. We're in a fallen world. We're in a world where sin is abounding, but the grace of God doth more. And I'm not going to promise you anything. The Bible doesn't even give us that promise in this, in this world. That you won't have a, have a pressure. You won't have a storm come. Because storms are going to come. But Jesus did give us a promise. If you will build yourself in me and upon me. The storm may come. But it will not overtake you. It will not destroy you. That's the promise of his word. Then i got to land. Here's my third, last, last, last point. There's no other foundation can be laid other than Jesus. No other foundation. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Years ago, we used to wear armbands like I got on my arm. We put WWJD. What would Jesus do? Maybe we need to change that a little bit in our philosophy and thinking. And not what would Jesus do. But is my thinking aligning to the thinking of Jesus? Because if I'm not thinking like Jesus, I'll never do what Jesus is doing. If my life philosophy, my core belief doesn't align itself with Jesus... Do you have to understand something. I'm off track. That's why He said, I am the way. I'm the only way to the Father. I am the truth. The absolute. He is, Miss Judy. The absolute truth. Jesus is. And He said this, I am the life. Outside of me, there is no life. Outside of Him, there is nothing. Only the foundation of the Lord Peter said only the foundation of the Lord is sure. Jesus came to redeem us back to the Father. To put the order of heaven back into our disorder. That the glory of God that He's always intended from day one. When He breathed man and man stood up in the glory of God. That has always been when you and I are thinking glory, we're looking for a cloud. And God said, I'm not looking for a cloud. I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for a woman that is fashioned after me, that I've already breathed into, that will stand and my glory be revealed. It's the foundation, church. I'll stop there. Gone way, way too long. telling you God is putting his hand on this church he's putting his hand upon our lives see I want revival without change I want a move of God to be like the world and it's not like the world because the move of God is to transform the world and it's going to make us look different it's going to make us act different it's going to make us talk different we're going to think different Because it's who we are. You know, I think about the Amish guys going down the road. You know those guys that are in the buggies, clippity-clopping down the highway? 100 degree heat, and I'm buzzing by them at 80 miles an hour with the air conditioning blowing straight on. And you know what? I think about them all the time. I wonder if they ever get if they ever get a temptation I'd like to get in that I'd like to get in that car going down the road just once I'd like to feel that air conditioning blowing on me instead of the smell of this old horse but you know what I gotta say something to them I may not believe in them or may not believe what they believe but I gotta give them credit for something they refuse to be moved By a world system that went faster than they did. I look at the Muslims. I have to give them credit that they'll stand and die for what they believe. The religions of the world, they'll literally die. They don't care. They'll look different in public and everybody knows who they are. And we, the greatest people on the planet, the believers of God, if I could say it like that. Maybe that's not the right way to say it, but you're catching what I mean. We're as fickle as the wind. We're moved by every wind of doctrine that comes along. We're moved by our feeling. We're moved by our emotion. We're moved by the world. And the world seems to stand So strong. The Bible said it's the foundation of the Lord that will stand. Years ago, we used to have a group in called Teen Mania. Some of y'all might remember them. Some of you were teenagers then. It's been a few years back. I never will forget the saying, if you don't take a stand for something. It was their number one saying. If you don't take a stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I brought my wrestling friend in on Mother's Day a few years ago. It wasn't intended. I just didn't realize it was Mother's Day. I promise you I'll never have another wrestler on Mother's Day. He played the role of the million-dollar man. And they would literally, in the role that he would play, the WWE would dress him up. They'd put him in limousines, fly him around in Lear jets, put him in the greatest hotels, send him everywhere because everybody sees him and knows him. Put hundreds of dollars in his hands and he would throw out to the crowd as he would walk down the aisle. And his words were like this, I can buy you, I can buy you, I can buy you he would scream that and shout it to the crowd while the crowd would go nuts. But there was a reality to his character. Because after he gave his heart to Jesus and began to preach the gospel we actually gave him his first opportunity to share the gospel in Paducah. We had about, I don't know how many people there, a few hundred, couple hundred maybe. He said, Pastor, I've wrestled at WrestleMania in front of 90,000 people. Matter of fact, it's going on this weekend. He's probably there. But he said, I was shaking in my boots standing in front of that small group of people telling them what Jesus did for me. He came in in dress, never will forget it. He had his suit on, his million dollar man belt. He come in, he's coming down the aisle. I can buy you, and I can buy you, and I can buy you then he gets in front of the people and he said the truth of the matter is you can all be bought he said it's just a matter of the price what about you friend are you so strong that the world can't buy you or is the world pressing in on you enough the pleasures of this world and the things of this world to say I can buy you I'll buy your soul you don't even realize that you're giving your soul away. The foundation of the Lord stands sure.